Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are recording now on Sunday, May 7th. It's uh, bright and early in the day for me, 9 a.m., but midday for Pete. And I hear it's a beautiful day in Boston, huh? Oh, it's about time. It's about time. It was all like like nasty mid-50s. It is a beautiful 70 degrees right now. Nice. I'm, we've, got, we've had some good weather out here in Seattle, and then it got gross. And then yesterday... So my, my son plays baseball, like Little League. It's, you know, middle of the season. We've had a bunch of rainouts because it's Seattle and that happens. <laughs> Yesterday was like a perfect day. And they canceled the games because the fields weren't playable, they said, because of like rain oh. from the day before or something. And we're just devastating. Like, we were literally outside when we got the notification. And I was just like, I, I can't think of anything I would rather do right now than go like hang out in a baseball field. This yep. is terrible. But Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And uh, don't forget to leave us ratings, reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. And I think that's all the you know disclaimer official business that we need to get out of the way. And so we can get into the get into the content here. And today's episode is going to be sort of a, a random assortment of stuff. We started with the idea of talking about sort of player trade values, and we do have some trades to talk about here. But there's there's a few other questions that sort of relate to trade value, sort of don't. And I don't know. I think it'll be a good one. But before we do that, there are some quick news and notes to talk about. Um, the the first one, and I. I don't really know if there's much to say, even for keeper leagues, but Eloy Jimenez had an appendectomy. Um, <laughs> I just don't even know what to make of that. Like it's... this guy, just he's like he he had a rough start to the season. He's finally showing some signs of life in the last week, and he doesn't he doesn't run into a wall. He doesn't injure himself running the bases. His appendix just fails him. I mean. You're right. There's not a lot to say. A four to six week timetable recover, recovery timetable is rough, right? I, I didn't realize it would be this long. I swear a player within the last like three years had this as well. I can't think who it was. For some reason, I think it was a first baseman. It's just how my mind works. Can't remember. I don't remember what the timetable was there. I, here's the, the most frustrating thing, and we can move on because it feels like we talk about Eloy all the time as a result of him landing on the IL. When he's healthy, he's an excellent, excellent hitter. And I think sometimes when guys routinely get hurt like this, it, that gets lost. He's just good. Sometimes He will sometimes go through stretches where you get a little frustrated like the beginning of the season. But when that dude's hitting, which he was starting to do, he is very, very good. So maybe if, you, if you're way ahead in the standings, this could be a time to buy extremely low on Eloy. But otherwise, I totally get the frustration because trust me, I have more Eloy shares than any of you. I, f- I feel like you're directing that message at me 
since <laughs> no, like, no, I can't sell this low on him. <laughs> a couple days ago, we were discussing whether or not we should uh, have an Eloy trade discussion on the show because you have him in that podcast or auto new league we're in. And then I was like, I just messaged you. It's like, well, I guess we're not going to have that discussion now that he's out forever. And now you're like, oh, well, if you're ahead, this is a good time. And that's exactly <laughs> where I am. I'm up. I've got a good like 10 point lead in, in our five by five. And it would be a point at which I could pick up someone like that and sit on him. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Jimenez, I think, you know, the, the question I have about him at this point, and, and this gets into sort of the keeper value is you and I were both pretty low on Byron Buxton before the season because he just does not stay on the field. Buxton, by the way, played 26 games in April. It's the most games he's ever played in the month of April. So like I heard that yesterday. I thought of you immediately. A, yeah. <laughs> and I think moving him to a full-time DH was a smart decision. And we'll, we'll see how that plays out. There's still a good chance he gets hurt at some point, but like regardless, you and I were both very low on him because of that. Jimenez 2020, he played 55 games right in the shortened season. Other than that in his career, 122 in 2019, 55 again in 2021, 84 in 2022. Now he's going to miss a month this year already. At what point do we have to start thinking of him the way we do Buxton and just be like, look, if you get 90 games out of him, like you should be happy. I'm just not there yet. Eloy's still young, right? I mean, this has followed Buxton to his, his prime years. I mean, I guess technically Eloy should be in his prime right now, but Buxton's a lot older, right? And something as fluky as an appendectomy. I know that Buxton has also had his fair share of fluky injuries, but Eloy, it feels like there's a solution earlier in his career, right? Like he was clearly DHing most of the time and they were reluctantly putting him in the field. I think when the White Sox are fully healthy, there's no question that Eloy is a DH and that's it. So like Buxton, a lot of his injuries came in the field and that's just not going to happen to Eloy going forward. It took us a while to get to this point with Buxton, but it hasn't with Eloy. So when Eloy comes back from this appendectomy, which just happens to people, um, I, and he's an everyday DH, I kind of expect him to be okay. Maybe I'm a fool for that, right? But like, he's still young. How old is Eloy? He's got to be like 26, maybe, maybe even a little bit younger. Um, so I'm I'm not ready to jump from that. He's 26. He won't turn 27 until November. So I can't I can't call him Byron Buxton yet. I just can't do it, especially after something like this and appendectomy. Yeah. That that's fair. I mean, this this is this is just bad luck, right? I think sometimes we talk about like, oh, he's had a bunch of fluky injuries, and sometimes those fluky injuries are like, well, are they fluky or does he, you know, make risky decisions in the outfield and therefore hurt himself? Like, an appendectomy is about as fluky as it gets. <laughs> there's right, there's yeah. no, like that has nothing to do with his ability to stay on a baseball field. So, I, I can see what you're saying with him. A couple other uh, AL Central outfielders who are, I guess one of them might not really be an outfielder anymore. Hard to tell. But Alex Karoloff is back for the Twins. Oscar Gonzalez is back in AAA for the Guardians. Are you are you just done with Oscar Gonzalez? And if you're getting rid of him, would you look to pick up Karoloff? Uh, that's two great questions. Uh, I'm pretty much done with Oscar Gonzalez. So uh, first of all, Guardians fans before the season, yourself included, were kind of like, Gonzalez could be good. He could stay in the lineup, but there's also kind of a low floor here. And I think 
fantasy managers went into drafting Gonzalez is already with limited expectations, right? Best case scenario, we're talking like a good batting average. And depending on where he hits in the lineup, maybe a lot of runs because of that good batting average. But I don't know, 10 homers might even seem like a stretch. The fact that he was so bad and Cleveland has decent options, right? And this is a team that wants to contend this year. They could be making moves. The fact that he has done literally nothing this year uh, kind of leads me to being done with him. So like I said before the show, I asked you uh, $3 Oscar Gonzalez as a cut. And yeah, I think I think that's a cut. He's a $1 player at this point. And even then, if I needed the roster space, I think he's a cut. Would I add Kirilov? I think it's worth reminding everybody that Chad and I were huge Kirilov people. And then this dude literally had to get his wrist bone shaved. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I kind of just like cringe and my insides die because that just sounds awful. It does sound I, terrible. I, I like I don't know what the the end result is expected to be. And um I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. It was probably fantasy baseball today, but this was a while ago and it was kind of said like, look, it may just be that Alex Kirilov is gonna have to figure out how to play not feeling a hundred percent. Like he might never feel a hundred percent. And he needs to be okay with that and be able to play like that. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But for what it's worth, I guess he was performing well in the minors. So I I don't know. Yeah, we'll per- perform- performing well is an understatement. In 46 plate appearances, so small sample, but a 452 Woba. He had three home runs. You know, three home runs in 46 plate appearances. That's a, that's a pretty nice pace to be on. Yeah. So uh, he was... And he was he was walking 13% of the time. He was only striking out 17.4% of the time. Yeah, tiny, tiny sample. But if you believe in Karoloff's talent and think the big question with him is, how does this wrist feel? Is he healthy? The thing that those numbers in AAA make me feel good about is that he's healthy right now. Now, how long that lasts, how long he can... That's a different question, as always. But... Uh, I am buying it on Kirilov. I, I still really love the talent. And I, I think that I think now, like now is your opportunity to buy in. And if it turns out like the wrist is just never going to be right, fine. You'll cut him. You'll move on. If on the other hand, you buy in now, you can buy in relatively low. And if he hits the way he's capable of, and if it's like, wow, it's crazy it took us this long to get to this wrist-shaving thing, but now that I've done it, everything's great. Like, he could be a star. Yeah, he certainly could be. I think it's worth reminding people that this was a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball, and and that doesn't mean too much, right? Otherwise, Andrew Benintendi and Yohan Moncada would be under their seventh World Series with the Red Sox, but like, it's still something. There's some pedigree here. I'm still, Chad, more excited about his teammate, Royce Lewis. There hasn't been a lot of news coming out of there, but um, if I had to pick a young Minnesota twin for the second half of 2023, I'm uh, still interested in Royce Lewis just to throw him back on people's radars. So since since you're throwing Royce Lewis onto the radar, let's. Uh, I'm going to add something to our rundown. It's not on the list, but I'm going to throw it out there because in our Keeper Cut listener league in our auto new listener league we're talking a lot about listener leagues today uh i made a trade that royce lewis was involved in i traded my nine dollar jeff mcneil for a three dollar royce lewis a one dollar jonathan aranda and a one dollar evan carter uh i i mean i can tell you what i think i obviously like the deal because i made it but what about what do you think pete uh i really like it i just uh... This is such a cliche line, right? But I think Jeff McNeil is a better real-life 
player than fantasy player, right? It's such a cliche thing that we can throw on a certain type of player. And Jeff McNeil just is that kind of player. Um, remind me the four match had, did you say fan graph this, points? No, this is, this is four by four. This is our four by four league, our, our listener league. Then I, I kind of like it even more now um, because in four by four, we're talking slugging percentage as well. Right. And yeah, I, so I think the, I, the thing with McNeil is he's so good at on base, right? Like sure. he's going to, he, he will prop up that category for you and he'll score a lot of runs. So I, I think he's pretty valuable in four by four. Uh, it's definitely that he, not that he's not valuable. Yeah. But when you're considering your return, like I, I kind of expect Fair. to see Evan Carter this year, right? Like I, I hope so. <laughs> The starting left field situation for the Rangers at the moment is a platoon between Travis Janikowski and Bubba Thompson. And, and is are they still in first place? They're still um, in first place, right? They, I know it's not Houston. So if I had to guess, <laughs> yes. I don't have the standings up in front of me. but I'm going to pull yeah. them up right now. They are, they are a game up on the Angels and two and a half up on Houston and three and a half up on Seattle. Now that, so- that division is like, if you're Texas... That division is super talented. The three teams chasing you could all easily pass you. The two teams furthest back from you, right? I mean, let's leave Oakland out of the picture. But the teams in third and fourth there, Houston and Seattle, are, you know, if you had to bet on who are going to be the two best teams in that division the rest of the year, those two teams would be the two I would pick. So, like, you have an opportunity if you're Texas, and you're going to have to find ways to improve your team quickly. And Carter certainly seems like an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I, it, it, he is obliterate. He's only at double A, but he's obliterating it right now. He's got a higher walk rate than strikeout rate. His WRC plus is up like over 150. Um, I, I thought there was another outfielder that may get an opportunity before him. Um, I'd have to double Dustin check. Harris, maybe. Yeah, that might be it. I was looking at it earlier because I was considering adding Carter in a shallower league. But in Otnew, if you can get him for a dollar, I think he's going to be up. Chad, if you look at roster resource, the outfielders on the Rangers roster right now, let's forget about Adelise Garcia. He's a lock. He's been awesome. Great. Adelise Garcia. Travis Janikowski, Robbie Grossman, who's DHing, Leody Tavares, who you know I love, but is it ever going to happen? I don't know. Brad Miller. Bubba Thompson, who can't hit his way out of a paper bag. And Josh H. Smith, not to be confused with Jace Move from the Atlanta Hawks back when I was a kid who could dunk like crazy great player on NBA 2K11. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Carter is also, like, let's let's talk fantasy value for a moment and get back to sort of our space. Uh, Eric Cross, who I've referenced on the show before, is one of my favorite prospect analysts, um, about a week ago, week and a half ago, put out his new top 10 dynasty prospects and had Evan Carter 7th. Uh, and so like, there's a guy we're going to talk about shortly because of a trade you're looking at Jackson Churio, who he has now behind Carter. By wow. Spot. Okay. And so I, I'm like, I was in on Carter last year and I, I, Carter is one of these guys, like I made, I feel like I made some mistakes with him where I bought in last year. I saw what he was doing. I was interested. I read a couple of reports that were like, hey, this guy could could shoot up boards. He looks pretty good. So I bought in. And then like when keeper deadline came around, I was like, eh, he's still sort of like a, you know, hovering around the top 100. He's, he's a top 100 guy, but he's not like a top 10, top 20 guy. I guess I'm going to move on. And then by the time draft season came around, it was like everybody was in on him. And now it's gone even higher. And so 
I, uh, I saw this opportunity to get him. This, this trade for me was really about him and Lewis. Uh, Jonathan Aranda, I like, but he's he's not hitting well in, in the minors right now. And the Rays have so many options that I just, I don't really see his path unless he starts absolutely banging down the door. And he's not doing that. So, but Carter, I think, is a, a potential game changer. And I, I'm sure. super excited to pick him up. Super excited. I like that deal for you. So I mentioned Churio. So let's let's skip the next thing that was on our rundown and talk about an offer you're sitting on right now. So it sounds like you've been offered, you have a $47 Jose Ramirez. And you've been offered a $13 George Kirby and a $2 Jackson Churio for him. Give us some context in this league just so we know what we're looking at. Sure. Uh, so my team sucks. Um, I, I thought it was great. Like, let, let me comb through this roster at, very quickly. Just the offense. Dalton Varsho is my catcher. Matt Olson at first. Jazz Chisholm at second. Tommy Edmond at short. Um, I had Corey Seager at short and Tommy Edmond at middle infield before Seager went down. Ramirez at third. Outfield. Eloy. Adelise Garcia. Christian Yelich. Jorge Soler. Josh Lowe. My guy. Brian Hayes, who's on fire. This was supposed to be so good. And it's been absolutely atrocious. Part of that is my pitching. Um, I'm in dead last and I've been in last for a while. Uh, so I, I'm beginning to consider like it's, it's time to sell. Um, I wanted to get some controllable young arms to go with my $14 Christian Javier, who's also been a bit of a disappointment this year. And so yeah. I did offer, I want this, I want this manager to know that the offer I sent yesterday was before the Eloy Jimenez news. I sent him basically, <laughs> basically the same offer. So it was his George Kirby for $13 and his Jackson Chirio for $2 for my Jose Ramirez for $46. That was the offer that he countered with. It was the same trade, except I was also giving him Eloy Jimenez for 29 and he would have to add in uh, Tyler Glasnow for $11. So a really nice piece. I was going to give a loan that covered the whole thing. Then Eloy had the appendectomy. So he countered with this. I'm leaning towards accepting, but here's my predicament, Chad. I think George Kirby is going to get hit in arbitration because my team sucks and there's not going to be a lot of players to put dollars on. And I think Kirby's going to be the one that gets hit the most, which would end up making him probably like a $19, $20 George Kirby. And now I just have like a like a market value George Kirby um, as opposed to holding out with my Ramirez and selling him for potentially a lot more. But then I was thinking about Jackson Chirio, and although his numbers don't jump off the page right now at double A, he's 19. <laughs> He's yeah. got, he's got to be one of the youngest players at double a kind of reminds me of Nick York last year. People were getting frustrated, but he was the youngest player. He didn't face a pitcher that was older than him at all. Like all last year, a, a pitcher that was younger than him, I should say at all last year. Yeah. So I'm hoping that there's obviously more to be had with trio. Even if he doesn't get an appearance in the major leagues this year, which I don't know. Now I'm on the fence. What are your thoughts? So this is, this is in our auto new listener league where your team is very bad. It is in last place. And the only team that is close to as bad as yours is mine. <laughs> Makes me feel better. Thanks, Chad. <laughs> we're we're both we're both really struggling. And actually, the team you are talking to is the one that traded for my McNeil. Mm. So that they're they're that team is obviously buying pretty aggressively. And they've got they've made they have three incoming loans already, which means they've made let's see, they gave up Jordan Walker. Uh, about a week ago to get Joe Musgrove and Ryan Helsley and Teoscar Hernandez. They made that deal with me now. And then they made, 
let's see, what was the other deal they made? They traded away Vinny Pascantino for Rowdy Telez and Luis Castillo. So this is this is a team that is they're making their move for sure. Buying. Yeah. So that's uh I I'm I like that. I like seeing teams sort of be aggressive. I I I try to do that where I can as well. Um I can't in this league because my team is so bad. But I, I think for you, I think the 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 thing about Kirby and the arbitration situation, and I I, I give this advice a lot. I, I try to live by this advice too. Is I just don't think about or worry about arbitration when making trades at this point in the season. And and the reason is, unless your team is truly atrocious, which I understand you're struggling right now. But there's value on your team, right? There, there are good lot. young players. Yeah. No, there is, right? Unless your team is truly atrocious, you're going to get somewhere between, let's say, 20 and $30 in arbitration, right? And, and most teams are more than 20 A few teams are over 30 But, like, it's – you're going to get something in that range regardless. So Kirby getting – Going from, you know, he'll go to $15 automatically. Him getting another four bucks of arbitration and going up to 19 is really not four new dollars on your team. It's four dollars that go to him instead of making Jazz Chisholm 30 versus making him 26 or something, right? Like, or or making, I'm trying to look at your roster. Who else? Like, Joe Adele comes up, keeps crushing like he is right now. He's $2. He's going to get an arbitration, go up to maybe 12 so maybe he only goes up to 10 because two of those dollars go to Kirby instead. Like at the end of the day, having guys who are getting hit in arbitration is, is only good for you. So my perspective on that is like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that because you're going to get hit with arbitration no matter what. And so mm-hmm. what, how those dollars move around in your team shouldn't stop you from going out and getting someone exciting. That makes sense. And 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 I think there are, you know, looking at this roster, I thought it was all just like kind of like good players who are kind of market value right now. But obviously, you know, you brought up Adele, uh, you brought up Jazz, who I have for 15. There's other like Josh Lowe for a dollar. I hope he doesn't get hit. <laughs> like like yeah. to your point, if Kirby gets hit with dollars instead of Josh Lowe and I have a three dollar Josh Lowe next year, I'll still be pretty happy about that. So that makes sense. Right. I may try to still pry that glass now, see what I can counter with. But I am leaning towards accepting um, for that particular offer. Makes sense. Let's take a quick break and we get back. We'll jump into a few more trades. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. 
All right, welcome back. Next trade, we want to talk about another listener league. This is one of our listener leagues over on Fantrax. It's a it's a keep nine. You keep it the cost of one round. I think this is the one that's one round higher than what you paid for the guy at the draft. And this is a head-to-head league. So Matt Heckman, who we've talked about on the show before, has been on the show before, always out there looking at the young talent. And he picked up both Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen, who we have talked about on the show before, put them on the trade block. And I offered him Zach Wheeler for the pair. And he accepted. Uh, we, we ended up, there's there some draft pick compensation in there. I think I gave him a 12th and he gave me a 14th or something. Um, but there was a lot of back and forth there. Apparently he was talking to you about Sonny Gray at one point in there and trying to figure out what that looked like and ended up deciding he was going with this deal. Um, I, I go back and forth in this myself because it's, it feels like a future focused deal. Um, Wheeler, I can't actually remember off the top of my head what round I picked Wheeler in, but I don't think he's, he's not likely a keeper. Whereas Bybee and Allen are both free agent pickups and therefore will be last round values in keepers, which at this point seems like a, a, a good bet. Something I would be happy to do. That said, um, it's a head-to-head leak, and I'm in fourth right now. Uh, I'm not having a great week this week, I don't think, but I, I'm I'm right in the mix for a playoff spot. And so I I worry, especially if Allen and or Bybee get, you know, shut down later this year or something like that because of innings, whatever, like it could really hurt me. What's what's your take on this? Yeah. So I, I, it's hard for me to give a take because I, I, I just think it's kind of fair down the middle. On one hand, I think it's it's too hard to assume like, all right, it's head to head. Will I, will I even have this player for the playoffs? Because like you could easily have Bybee and he might not even have Wheeler for our playoffs. Like it's it. I just worry about getting there. Um, and in, in for yeah, a keeper fair. league, if we're going to talk long term, we're not talking long term within the 2023 season. We're not talking about like August and September. We're talking about years down the road. Wheeler, as much as I love him, and he has been much better than it looks. Um, you know, the FIP is 2.47. He's posting his best swing strike rate, his best CSW. Like he looks really good. Um, at the same time, he's 30. How old is Zach Wheeler? This is age 33 season. So like you're getting in a keeper league, not just future value, but guys who are performing at a high level right now. Like, I'm sorry, Tanner Bybee has looked pretty damn good. Um, and Logan Allen, to his credit, although I wish he got one more out yesterday, has also looked very good. So <laughs> just I don't missed think that quality start. Yeah, drove just me crazy. missed it. Yeah. You're, not, you're not losing as much this season as I think it might look on the surface. Of course, that all depends on what Cleveland does with the rotation going forward. Yeah, I think the other piece of this for me was my rotation in that league right now. I have some like there's some guys at the top of the rotation I'm very happy with. Luis Castillo, Zach Gallen. Um, Hunter Green has been very good. I picked up Anthony DiSclefani, who's been terrific. But then, like, Nick Lodolo's really struggled. Yeah. And my other pitchers, like, I had Wheeler. I have Tyler Wells. I The depth is sort of questionable. And I've got, like, my only minor league pitcher that I've got stashed there is Ken Waldachuk, who's been awful. So I'm not calling him up anytime soon. Um, I've got three relievers in my lineup this week. 
uh, or right now, I should say, not this week because it's a daily. Um, Andrew Chafin, who he's getting saves, I guess. Pierce Johnson, who I guess is getting saves. Ryan Helsley, who I think is hurt right now. Like, just my 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 pitching depth is a little bit lacking. It will get better. I've got Tristan McKenzie on the IL. I've got Liam Hendricks coming back maybe in like a week or two, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, I've got Andres Munoz is should be back at some point someday. I think. Yeah, soon. He hasn't started his rehab, but yeah, he's, he's so there. like my depth will get better. But that was the big thing for me was the trade off from Wheeler to Bybee. Let's say let's let's assume Bybee's the better of the two. The trade off from Wheeler to Bybee is is pretty significant. But the trade-off from whatever random pitcher I was going to pick up off the wire versus Allen was also pretty significant. And so I felt like, I think this year I can make this work. And in the future, it's obviously great for me. So that was that was sort of the thinking and how I ended up there. And I think it's a pretty fair deal. I think I think Matt and I will both be happy with it. The fact that Matt's a Phillies fan and I'm a Guardians fan. Probably didn't hurt our ability to, to get this trade done, but uh, not, you know, not the only reason to make the trade. Probably not even a good reason to make the trade, but. I mean, at the that. end of the day, even if it works against you this season, Chad, you got two keepers for a guy who probably wasn't a keeper. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Let's look at uh, another auto new league. We got a question from a listener, uh, Mike Maud, who uh, is in the auto new Slack, reached out to me. He is in a league with me. It's League 1199. It's a food and travel league. I've talked about it here before. Love it. He wants you to know. explain that again for, for the audience because I love the, this. The audience. This is, it's it's a group of people who, they're, 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 in the Auto New Slack, there is a like food and travel channel where we talk about food and travel. And a bunch of the guys there were like, we should start a league of people in this this channel who like food and travel. And then decided if there were going to be prizes for a food and travel league, they needed to be food related. And so the way this league works is, the the fourth through twelfth place finishers each offer up some sort of food or beverage prize. They make cookies, beer, coffee. Uh, I got a Chicago style hot dog kit this year. Sweet, um, yeah. <laughs> so you, you hot dog. <laughs> oh, you never had a Chicago style hot dog? There, uh, no. it's like a hot dog with a bunch of stuff on it. There's like pickles and sport peppers and celery salt and all sorts okay. of Sounds super good. super neon green relish. But it's a it's a thing. When you're in Chicago, you'll get one. Right. Um, but anyways, the point is that the you put up this, you put these up, and then the top three finishers have a draft and get to pick them. And so last year I finished third. That was one of my prizes. My other prize was a beer care package. It was sweet. Excellent. But Mike wants to know: Is it basically just too late for him given his ERA? And so some context here: It is a four by four league. His team is dead last. Now, you you know what you and I were talking about how bad our teams were in the listener four by four league that you and I are in. Uh, his team is better than either of our teams, but is still in last place in this league. So he's a little <laughs> closer to the pack than we are. Okay. Um, and because of the way this league is structured, like I I don't know if he agrees with me, but like I I just want to be top three. I want to get food instead of sending oh, food. Hell yeah. Like I'm, I like to me, the difference between like finishing fourth and finishing third is huge. And the difference between third and first is like not that important to me. Right. I want to be in that top three. (laughs) However, his ERA is 4.92. Now, 
anybody who plays fantasy is listening to the show knows that 4.92 is bad. But for, for some context here, the next worst ERA in that league is 4.34. So he is oh, wow. more than half a run back of even gaining a single point. How many in, innings in so far? He's thrown 301 innings, which is sort of middle of the pack. Okay. But I think that gets to the point where he could throw another 1,200 innings. So he could throw four times as many innings as he's thrown so far. His team last year had a lot of the same pitchers. And he's got guys like he's got Sandy Alcantara. He's got Julio Urias, uh, Dylan Cease. Like he has some good pitchers who have been underperforming. Yeah, that explains right? a lot of it. That explains a lot of it. Last year, his ERA was, let's see if I can find his team here, 3.21. If he, if you believe that he is a true, let's say 3.3, let's call it 3.5. Let's be, let's be reasonable. Let's say you really think his team is a 3.5 ERA caliber talent. And he is currently thrown about 300 innings at a 4.9. Uh, let's think about this. I'm going to do some math here. And he go. You think he can throw the other twelve hundred at three point five? He could pull his ERA down to three point seven eight. That's where he would end up. That three point seven eight. As I go back to this year's standing, sorry, I'm going back and forth between years. That three point seven eight would put him sixth in ERA this year. And would get him six points instead of one for for that category. So his question basically is like, should I, like, is it just too late? And I think the reality is like, I don't think it's too late based purely on his ERA. And he has some decent signs. Like he's middle of the pack in strikeouts. He's middle of the pack in home runs per nine. Uh, he is near the top and on base percentage and runs. The, the question I think he really needs to ask himself, though, is like, does he think not only does his pitching have to turn around, but he has to go out and pick up some power. He's among the bottom of the league in both home runs and slugging. And it's a it's a climb from the seller. And I think the, the challenge he has is if he's going to try to make that climb, he probably has to be aggressive right now. And he might know in a couple months that that aggression didn't pay off. And then what does he do? Yeah, I, I would not, I wouldn't want to judge my team's ERA after the month of April. I just, that's yeah. a, that's a really slippery slope. There's, you know, pitchers getting warmed up and, and there's still the weather issue, right? Like we saw guys like Luis Castillo last year, right? Be seriously affected by the weather. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for his guys. Like I'm willing to bet. Julio Urias and Sandy Alcantara pitched in some pretty nice weather, but I you'd mean, think so. yeah, you'd think so. I don't, I don't know how true that is to be fair. Cause you know, one does pitch in the NL East. So maybe he has had some bad luck and I'm not saying it's all weather related. Anyway, I'm just not ready to sell up my team's ERA just because of the month of April. On top of that, if you have a rotation that features Alcantara, Urias and cease, like you've kind of made your bed, you know, like you, you may need to sleep in that because you put a, a huge investment into that rotation. And so like is a mid year shift that's that drastic really going to get you in the top three, or is it just more, which I know is this question. Is it more sound to kind of ride this out? And with names like cease Urias and Alcantara, I think I'm kind of riding it out and it, and it could bite you in the other side. If you do say like, all right, you know what? 
ERA is a wash. Let's sell these guys for power or something like that. Like you, you could miss out on an opportunity to actually make gains in the pitching categories. Cause you're not only moving on from, you know, I assume what he wants to do, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong is sell his starters for some hitting and kind of plug in some relief pitchers. Is that the idea here? No, I think, I think what he's trying to decide is, should he just sell? Should he okay. just like, All right, that's ha- has then. right. And, and I think the, the, I'm still no though. I yeah, I, so I, I think I'm no as well. I, I agree with you, by the way, that like you don't want to judge your rotation, especially your rates in your rotation based on right. April. I think the question he's asking isn't like, do, is you know, is my pitching just bad, right? Are, are Dylan Cease and Sandy Alcantara terrible and Julio Urias merely okay? Like that's not, a, I don't think that's his question. <laughs> I think his right. question is like, I've banked the stats I banked and is it too yeah. late to turn things around? And I think what I would say to him is, um, no, I don't think it's too late, but I would be a little bit cautious for now. Because I think what you don't want to do in this situation is get overly aggressive to buy. And he's got some fun young talent. He's got got Jackson Holiday, who's so far away, I would trade him. So if you trade Jackson Holiday, go do it. But he's got Ellie De La Cruz. He's got Kyle Manzardo. Curtis Mead, like he's got some some fun young talent that he could trade. And so I think what I wouldn't want to do if I were him is so aggressively shop those guys that I leave myself with a bare cupboard and still it turns out not to be enough. I actually looking at his roster, like he has Corey Seager who's been hurt. He will help his power for sure. Uh, he's got, I mean, let's see who else. He's got Teoscar Hernandez, who should hit for more power as the season goes on. Joey Gallo is a good power source. Uh, he got Jorge Polanco, who missed a bunch of time, but will certainly help with power now that he's back, especially over. I have no idea who he's playing at middle infield, but uh, let's see. His middle infield, some combination of, well, he's got Glaber Torres, which is good. And then like Josh Rojas, Gio Urshela. Yeah. Uh, Seeger, who's hurt. Like, he has opportunities for his team to improve. And I think if I'm him, what I would do is like give it a few more weeks, at least a couple more weeks, maybe the Memorial Day. See where you are at that point. Like if your ERA has come back to the pack and you're like, okay, I think I can get to middle of the pack in ERA. And like, okay, I'm starting to hit for some more power and like everything's moving the right direction. Then I think you can get aggressive about buying. If at that point things are still looking terrible, there will still be opportunities to sell. Especially because, like, if I look at his high price guys, a $50 Ronald Acuna, a $36 Corey Seager, if he decides to sell, like, Nick Castellanos at 21, Teoscar at 18, if he wants to move on from some of those pitchers, like, he will have buyers for those for those guys. So I don't think he's in a, I don't think he should be in a rush to sell. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say at the end there is like, now that I understand this is just a should I sell or not, as opposed to should I adjust my strategy? I, no way. <laughs> because yeah. those names, they're going to still have a lot of value a month, even two months from now. Um, and teams that are going for it will be even more likely to maybe buy because they're like, wow, I'm really in the thick of this. Thick of this. It's mid-season. Yeah. It's not just one month in. So those names that you'd be looking to sell, you'll still be able to sell. Um, so yeah. unless something comes across the table that's too good to pass up, I'm I'm holding. Why not? I agree. Next question that I wanted to t- ask you about, and this is this is a question for me because uh, in my CBS league that I've talked about before, we have a minor league draft. The way the minor league draft works, you'd get t- it's a two round draft, and those guys get stashed in the minors until you're ready to call them up. If you stash them for the full season, 
you can call them up in the off season. And, and what that effectively means is, so I'll explain this. My first round pick in this draft was uh, Masataka Yoshida. My second round pick was Brett Beatty. Based on where I made those picks, if I call them up, I would pay a $1 salary on Beatty and a $2 salary on Yoshida. If I wait, so if I call them up now, let's say, I can use them all year. That's great. But then in the off season, their salaries go up to $3 and $4 instead of staying at one and two. If I waited till after the season to call them up, they're only $1 and $2 next year. So I save $4 a salary between them. In addition, if I call them up, they use up a roster spot, whereas right now they don't. Now, I've got a couple of guys, like I've got Trey Mancini, who's been hitting better lately. I've got Spencer Steer, who's been sort of struggling lately. But like I could move on from those guys to make room for Yoshida and Beatty if I wanted to. But other guys who come up later in the year who aren't on a roster yet, like there, there are guys out there that I might want to pick up that they, these guys right now are not using up roster spots. And so the debate I'm having with myself is like, especially with Yoshida, although Beatty's been awesome too, is am I hurting myself too much by waiting to call these guys up? And should I just be like, use them now because they're playing well? Or is the value of saving two roster spots, keeping their salary down. If I, they're higher, they have a higher trade value because a team playing for the future will be more interested in them as stashes than they will as rostered players. Like, am I just overthinking that? And I should just be like, dude, these guys are good. Use them. So uh, for Beatty, my question is who's third base? Is there a corner infield and who's utility? That is a good set of questions. There is corner infield. Uh, my third baseman is Jose Ramirez. Who, he's pretty who's, good. He, he's good. He's not a bad player at all. Um, where's my... There we go. Uh, so I have Matt Olson at first base, who is also a decent player. My corner infielder right now... So there's a bunch of movement. I have a bunch of moving parts in this team. Um, in theory, my middle infield is Marcus Simeon, Willie Adamas, and Max Muncy. But Jorge, I also have Jorge Polanco. So like today, Jorge Polanco is in my middle infield spot and Max Muncy's in my util spot because Spencer Steer is in my corner infield spot. I also have Joey Gallo, who is on my bench today because I'm it's a head-to-head and I'm winning home runs by a lot and I don't need home runs. I need other stuff. But like Gallo is both first base and outfield. Mancini is first base and outfield. So like I've got some moving parts around that corner infield spot where like different guys go in and out. Because the rest of my outfield, like I have Kyle Schwarber, who while he hasn't been very good, I still am very happy with. Uh, Luis Robert, who's been much better lately. Jack Sawinski, who's been terrific for me. Christian Yelich, who's been very good for me. So like there's just a lot of moving parts there. Okay. So, so- Beatty, like... Beatty coming in, like if I, if I made changes right now, Beatty would effectively be a one-for-one swap for Spencer Steer and would probably be in my lineup half the time, you know, something like that. Not every day. Uh, Yoshida would be probably a one-for-one swap for Trey Mancini. He's probably my, my worst outfielder right now. And he would then push someone to the bench. Jeez, I don't even know who. Probably Beatty, I guess. <laughs> He'd push Beatty to the bench is what he would do. Yeah. So with Beatty, like, it's it's going to sound hypocritical because you could say this about Yoshida as well. But with Beatty, I, I'm not going to judge 
calling him up right now based on what he's already done because he's so young. He's going to go through ups and downs. Like just because he's hitting 294 with an OPS over 800, he's not going to do that the rest of this. He most likely is not going to do that every month the rest of the season, right? So I wouldn't just look at what sure. he's done. You miss that, that's gone. It, the fact that you have so many good options, and I still kind of like Spencer Steer, and you would only play him 50% of the time, he may actually be worth stashing. Yoshida, I he's 29 years old. He already has professional experience. Like I, I think you're just missing what might be his best performances. Um, he he's in a lineup so far that is scorching. He's got a very quick bat. Like I, I think this is just kind of who Yoshida is. We're already seeing the plate discipline stuff reflect exactly what the projection system suggests. And this is an OBP league. So, yeah, I I think you, you have to get him in there. I mean, you mentioned he would replace Mancini, which is already the upgrade of the century. But Jack Sawinski, too. Like, I really like Sawinski. I like that he's adding a, a stolen base component. But before yesterday's homer, I, I'm making this up. He was like, oh, for his last 14 with like eight strikeouts. It was something close to that. So he's going to be a streaky player with how much swing and miss there is. I mean, we're talking about like a 30% strikeout rate. So I'd be happy that I've had Sawinski because that makes the fact that I've lost out on this ridiculous 1450 game hit streak from Yoshida. Like I'll feel like, okay, you know what? I missed that, but I had Sawinski in there and he kind of made up for it. I'm not going to bank on that going forward with a player with that strikeout rate. And I, I can't miss out on any more Yoshida. He keeps hitting like this. He's not just a rookie of the year candidate. He's an MVP candidate. 320 yeah. with power and a little bit of speed. And he never strikes out. I mean, he has been that valuable. So I, I have to do what I can to get him in there. He's, he's one of the hottest players in baseball. Yeah. Okay. I was looking at this. I think the way this league works, because games have already started today, if I drop Mancini right now, it won't actually give me the spot until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so, because I was actually thinking, like, maybe I will just make this change and put Yoshida in my lineup literally this moment. But if you don't I'm have sort of to, I'd wait to as long it. as I can. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess if I'm going to drop Mancini anyways... All right, let's let's try this. We're going to run a test right now live. I'm not Mancini's not in my lineup today anyways, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. So I've dropped him. My transaction has been processed. It's oh, no, there's a spot right there. Wait, no. This is tomorrow. Yeah. If I go back to today, Mancini still exists. Well, that's annoying. All right. Doesn't matter. Mancini's gone. Yoshida will be back. He'll be in my lineup tomorrow. Happy to have him. <laughs> I think that was the right uh, move. Let's take one more quick break, and then we'll we'll try to rapid fire through some stuff because we want to get done. All right, welcome back. Uh, another trade to look at, Pete, in your league. This is a, this is a blockbuster, man. Um, and these these numbers and parentheses, these are the, the round values. Draft round values in these guys. So we've got a first-round trade turner. An 11th round Nick Castellanos. Uh, a 7th round. Is that Dustin May? Dustin May, yeah. 7th round Dustin May. And then a free agent, Will Smith, the reliever. So he was picked up as a free agent. So it'll be last round pick to keep. Whew. A 11th round Clay Holmes. 7th round Yoshida, we just talked about. 3rd round Max Freed. And a 6th round Anthony Volpe. So, I mean... Man, there are, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> um, so right off the bat, some more context. With this being a 16-team league, it's worth keeping in mind that a first-round Trey Turner is is potentially worth a lot more than it looks. Because if you yeah. do end up 
you know, with the 14th, 15th or 16th pick, Trey Turner is not going to be a 14th, 15th, 16th overall pick guy. He's right. probably still going to be a top eight at worst player. So that's important context here. Yeah. It also just drives up the, the, the value on all of these guys. Right. I think the interesting thing though, as I look at this is like, so I agree. If you're picking end of the first round, Turner looks like a good value here. A lot of these other guys, I'm sort of, I don't know. Like, is Freed a great keeper as a third-round pick? He's an excellent no. pitcher. I love Freed, but I don't think he's a great keeper as a third-round pick. I don't think Volpe's going to be a sixth-round pick. He'd have to perform at a really high level. Yeah. Holmes looks like he might lose the closer job at some point. Both really he isn't droppable. He's basically yeah. lost. Yeah. And Smith, is he has the job, but like we'll see how long he keeps it. Uh, Dustin May is not a seventh-round pick. So, like... I don't know. Castellanos for an eleventh, if he keeps hitting the way he's hitting, is is decent. And Yoshida for a seventh is decent. But those are really the only sort of keepers in this deal, which makes it much more of a like present day trade. And it's like a, I mean, I, I don't even know how to look at this. Like one team down one like matching guys up. One team downgraded from Trey Turner to Anthony Volpe. Upgraded from Castellanos to Yoshida. Upgraded from May to Freed. And then, I don't know, I guess downgraded from Smith to Holmes or upgrade. I don't even know what to call that because I don't know how to value either of those guys. There's better relievers on the free agent market. So I I view them as irrelevant. Got it. So I think from that perspective, I like the Turner side here better especially if that team is on their, sorry, I like the side that gave up Turner better, Um, especially if that team isn't immediately going to be a top of like a, a first place team picking at the end of the first round kind of thing. Because if they're not, if you're not picking late enough in the first round, then that Turner's not that valuable to keep. And in the meanwhile, I think you've upgraded your outfield. You've upgraded your rotation I, I see this for both sides. I totally see this for both sides. It's just a lot going on. It is a lot going on. They're both trying to compete. They're off to a little bit of slow starts, but they're they're solid managers. I kind of expect them to be to be in it. I, I think st- like the sticker shock is giving up Trey Turner and only getting as a best player Max Freed, but it's worth pointing out that like starting pitching in this league is at a premium. Forget about the fact that starting pitching around the league is down so much. It's just this league, typically, historically, it is very, very hard to acquire starting pitching. In a 16-team league, like, there are few options out there. Um, so you kind of just have to pay up for it. Um, obviously, with the way Yoshida's been hitting, I think that manager's pretty excited. But I, I could see it going either way here. Yeah. And I think for, with that context of the pitching, I think Freed is – that he's a big get. So I like that a lot. It is a strikeouts per nine league, and Freed is not exceptional in that regard. But for That's wins true. and quality starts, which we also count, like it, it, there's more value. So it all kind of washes yeah. out. Yeah. So got a question. Who are you out on among this group of breakout hitters? So Nolan Gorman, Josh Lowe, Yandy Diaz, Brent Rooker, and James Outman. And I've got some thoughts on who I might be out on, but I'm curious, which of these guys are you just like, eh, I don't buy it. Uh, so I want to believe in Outman, but it's a 34% strikeout rate. 
like that just will not play all season and he has shown us no reason to expect it to go down like there's nothing in his track record that makes me think like oh his strikeout rate will improve um last year it was obviously an incredibly limited sample size but it was not even it wasn't like that much better it was just 16 plate appearance but in those 16 plate appearances, he struck out seven times so it's it is minor league tracker would suggest he's a strikeout guy there's just a lot of swing and miss he reminds me of jackson winsky i i'm just not I, I'm willing to sell high if I have Outman. The other one is Nolan Gorman. I believe in the talent. I think he's awesome. But I also think the Cardinals are stupid. And I think they're showing that to us right now. And he's had six plate appearances against lefties. And I'm sorry to go on this rant again, but like, how is he going to get better against lefties if he never faces them? And if your team stinks, if you're in last place and you're a joke because your ace is Jack Flaherty, like, I don't know, give the guy a chance against lefties. Let's see what he's got. I just, what the heck are we doing here? And so I want to be in on Nolan Gorman and in long term, sure I am. But for this season, I, what are you going to get? He didn't face the last two lefties they faced. He's in the lineup today because they're facing a righty. Yeah, I, I think, by the way, I think Outman can end up in a similar situation. His his numbers so far against lefties are actually quite good. He has a he has a 161 WRC plus against lefties and a 151 against righties. So he is but. The against lefties, that's in that there. He has a 17.6% walk rate that I do not think he will continue, and a 467 BAPIP versus lefties. Wow, which that would definitely be nice continue. if you maintain <laughs> yeah. his ISO against lefties. And keep in mind, like BAPIP will help ISO because any, any you know, ball in play that turns into a double helps your ISO, right? Um, he has a 185 ISO against lefties versus 326 versus righties. He's just his performance against righties seems much more legitimate to me. Um, but even that's inflated with it. You have 362 BAPIP against righties. So I I think there's a good chance that Outman ends up in a platoon role and coming way back down to earth. And I'm so I, I think he's the one that I'm most of this group, he's the one I would sell high on. The others, like, I don't know. I Yandy Diaz is I think I like it's all him. legit. The fly ball rates up, he hits the ball hard. Like you know, is he going to keep putting up a 196 WRC plus? No, but like, I think he's legitimately breaking out to another level. Uh, you know, low, I think you, you worry about playing time because the Rays are going to Ray and oh things might God. happen there. But I, you know, he's not striking out a ton. The walk rate is solid. Again, the bat pips a little bit inflated, but it's not, it, it's... Any guy who's breaking out like this, like the bat is likely to be inflated, but like his ex is a 370. So that's not really super concerning to me right now. Like he's, he's hitting the ball really well, which is how he's getting the numbers he's getting. So Outman's the one who I'm most concerned about, but honestly, I like all these guys. I, I'd be happy to have any of them on my roster right now, but Outman is, if I was, if I had them all, Outman's the one I'm selling. Although I, th- I yeah, agree with sure. Gorman. I, I think Gorman short term two concerns yeah another question we had come in pitching rates basically a question is are pitching rates a waste in head-to-head and, and the, the specifics of this question were with rates being so variable week to week is it actually worth spending on elite pitching or should you be selling off your pitching to get more stable statistics go, go get a great bullpen and rack up saves and, you know, maybe you volume your way to strikeouts and then every once in a while, you know, random variation, you win ERA or whip anyways. 
What what do you do at head to head? Do you do you buy into that theory? I don't because like for as many weeks as like Kevin Gosman is going to give up eight earned runs to the Red Sox, he's also going to have those weeks where he goes eight innings and gives up zero earned runs and strikes out eleven Yankees or whatever it was. So I it, it, I guess it more depends on the pitchers. Um, if there's a guy who I think is an obvious sell high or something like Johan Oviedo a couple of weeks ago, not anymore. Um, then sure I'll, I'll cash out and I'll, I'll get something for him, but there's, there's nothing guaranteed in head to head, right? Because uh, in a week to week basis, you know, you could end up facing Ryan Mountcastle. Like I seem to do whenever that guy goes off, when he has a three home run or two home run game and he'll outperform your Vladimir Guerrero jr. And that is just fantasy baseball. So in a week to week basis, I'm, I, I have a hard time being like, oh, I'm going to commit to the Marmol strategy, which is just that named after Carlos Marmol, right? The reliever who would go a, a multiple innings and strike out a ton of guys, even though he actually kind of sucked. Like, I'm not ready to adopt that strategy because you do that and then your relief, all it takes is one bad relief appearance. And now not only are you donezo in strikeouts and in wins, but you've also ruined your ratios for the week because even if you get to like 17 innings pitched, if one of those innings was four earned runs with five walks or whatever, you know, you're, you're still probably in trouble that week. So I'm not ready to sell out for anything. I mean, everything depends on cost, right? If you do dangle your starting pitcher and somebody's willing to give you an amazing hitter and an amazing closer for them, like sure. But that's just based on value, not necessarily on strategy. Right. Yeah. I actually think in some regards, it's, it's the other way for me that, I really, I, I have found, I've gone back and forth in this over the years, but basically what I found is I want to have a really strong rotation if I can in my head-to-head leagues because of what you said, right? Like if you're running off streamers and stuff over the course of a season, a season long league, if you're running off streamers and you do a decent job of balancing, like, yeah, you'll have some blowups in there, but it'll get balanced out if you're regularly making good choices in a week one bad choice and you could be done. So I I like to, you know, yes, you're going to have those weeks that like, man, I paid up for all these aces and two of them got lit up and that was, you know, really annoying. But in general, I'm going to, you're going to do better overall by having those guys in place. And so that's, that tends to be my, my preferred strategy. One last quick note on head-to-head categories is, and I've said this before, in head-to-head categories, power is king. So if you feel like you have a balanced team and you want to sway a little bit more towards getting a power hitter for one of your pitchers, I will always be for that. Always go after homers. That is king in head-to-head categories. Yeah. So last few minutes here, we've got a handful of tweets that came in. going to run through them right now. The first one is from at Joe Horn's phone, Joe Horn's cell phone, tweeting at us. Cool. Middle of the pack team. What do we do with Degrom at thirty one dollars when he gets healthy? Thirty one dollars is a great price when he's healthy. Keyword or when he's playing. Keyword playing. But would it be better to ship him at his peak value when he's healthy yes. and sell? <laughs> you didn't even let me finish the, the tweet. Uh, I I think my my so in I had a I think I did have like a thirty one ish dollar. Degrom in one league, and I traded him for like a fifty dollar Aaron Judge because I was just like, and I did this before he got hurt, before either of them were hurt. To be fair, um, they got hurt like the same day. The, the manager reached out to me, he's like, "Dude, <laughs> we made this deal, and then they both got hurt." But Judge is going to be back soon, and, and and I think he will hopefully stay healthy after that. Whereas Degrom, I, I worry about. 
my concern would be, I think you may have already missed the peak value window, right? Like this is just, this injury is just a reminder that he's going to get injured. <laughs> and so, yeah, he'll come back. He'll have a good start or two. I would shop him at that point, but I'd be curious to see if you get much or if people are like, I don't know, you used up two of his good starts. He's only got three left. <laughs> and, that, and if that's what, if that's the kind of value you're going to get, then you should just sit on him. Yeah, so for this particular injury, I'm not like concerned about the health of Jacob Degrom. Let me put it that way, um, which sounds ridiculous. Bochi seems upbeat about it. He says he feels great. We're in a three week window. We're already one week into it, so he should be back, you know, within two weeks, which terrific. But I think it's actually a, a, a sign of how the Rangers are approaching this contract with Jacob Degrom. Whereas if Degrom has the sniffles, or if Degrom has a hangnail. Or if DeGrom says, oh, man, I stepped on you know my kid's Lego set this morning. They're going to shut him down for, for two weeks. And I, I just kind of expect that to be the case. I mean, we, we saw he had, what, what, a couple of weeks ago, he had like wrist soreness and he was throwing like a perfect game. They're like, nope, you're coming out. You're coming out right away after four innings. Um, I, to be fair to the Rangers, that might be the right approach. But what does that do to DeGrom? Like, it's fun to say like, yeah, when he's healthy, he's a great $31 value. But we live in a world where $31 is probably just about right for Jacob DeGrom. Like, I'm not sure you have this slam dunk value unless he does give you 150 innings. Even, you know, with DeGrom, I'll take 130 innings. But is he going to get yeah. there with how much he gets hurt? I don't think so. Especially if they are hanging around and feel like the important thing is to keep him healthy for the postseason. And with, sure. like, if you think about the, the postseason format in baseball now with, like, half the league making it, and that first round being basically like, you know, it's two of three. If you have a best two of three and you get to start Jacob deGrom in the first, like that's a big advantage. And I, I think they're going to be very focused on on setting that up. So I, I agree with you on that. Uh, we got a a trio of questions. Here we go. <laughs> Tim Tim Kanak, who is at Fantasy Ace Ball, hosts the Fantasy Ace Ball podcast. He's in that podcasters league with us. Um, you and I have both been on his show. Tim's a good guy. You should check out his show. He sent us three questions on Twitter. First, if you are selling in an auto new league, how much should the seller value their loan dollars in a deal? Example, if there's a pretty even trade, one for one offered, but loan dollars must be exchanged to get rosters legal, should the seller just throw the dollars out to get the deal done? I'm saying, yeah, if I'm selling, take what you want, man. <laughs> like, I, I unless I think there's a better deal to be had with someone else where I could use that money. But man, I got $400 to loan out. <laughs> I'm loaning it. Um, Well, not yeah. exactly $400, but you know, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I know so I'm i curious to hear what you say, but um, take it. Take I, my money. I agree, but it, it depends a little bit on what my situation is. So as a seller, one thing I want to be able to do is play the wire for breakouts, right? Because... The, the yes, you can trade a star player for a future star, but like you could also find a guy for a buck as a free agent who who breaks out. So I like to have money to play around on the wire. If I've got 10, 12, 15 dollars in cap space, then like, yeah, I'll just make that loan. If I've got like only like I, I what I don't want to do is make a loan that leaves me with like three dollars in cap space, two dollars. Like I want to make sure that I still have the space I need. Uh, that's, that's how I look at it. So to me, it's, it's, it's less about like dollars have real value, but they only have value insofar as you can use them. And so if I have a lot of cap space, 
then the dollar, then additional dollars don't matter that much to me. If I don't have a lot of cap space, then they do. And so that's where I, I get into negotiating. And in that case, like for me, it's usually not like, oh, I'm trading you this $50 bat for two prospects who are $5 total. And I'm like, I expect to get $45 in cap relief. It's not that. But what I would do is say like, instead of a $45 loan to balance the salaries, what if I loaned you $40? What if I loaned you $42? Like I do look for ways to just get a buck or two even. Like do a $43 loan instead of a $45 loan and get yourself a couple extra dollars of cap room. On the other hand, if I'm a seller and I have a bunch of cap space, because let's say part of being a seller was that I you know, had a $60 DeGrom who I've now cut and someone else picked up and I've got just all the cap space I could ever want, I'll use those dollars to get deals done. Like I'll reach out to a team that's buying and be like, you're buying and you have no cap space. And so I want this other prospect added in and I'll throw five bucks in on top of the loan. So you have a little bit of space to play around with and, and do some stuff on the wire that you're going to need to do to, you know, stream guys to get through the season. So yeah, I, in I was, general, I would say like, I, I don't let dollars get in the way of a deal unless it is out of line. Right. That, and I'm in lockstep with that. And I kind of view it the, the opposite way as well. If I don't have a guy I'm going to cut up front, there may be guys in my roster who like when I sell, no one's going to take, like maybe no one takes my $29 Eloy or my $38 Scherzer. So if I want that money to buy a player off free agency later, I'm going to cut these guys, take half that salary and throw it towards whoever's on free agency that I want. Yeah. His next question, how likely are you to keep players over $45 year over year, even if they are your best player or a superstar? So like think about, you know, $45, $50, Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, guy like that. If selling, do you move core pieces like this and hope to buy them back or a similar player the following year? Or do you hold on to your core guys? Yeah, I, I like flexibility. Um, but I also have been, I got bit so bad this year by inflation in auction. So while you may look and you're like, all right, I got this uh, $50 Acuna and that's about market value. So he could be a cut for me. Well, keep in mind when he goes to auction next year, he's going to go for like 60. So if not more, so I'd keep that in mind that I kind of, if I have a superstar at like their correct value or their average value, I'm actually probably just going to hold on and I'm going to build around that piece as opposed to hoping I can get him back. Cause I think that's a dangerous game to play. I I'm, I tend to be the opposite. I'd rather trade that guy and get something that I'm like, it, you know, Tim used the phrase core guys or core players here. And like, to me, uh, a $50, $60, even a fair price on a guy like that, that's not my core. My core are the like $10 guys who are worth 20, the $5 guys who are worth 20. Like those are the guys I consider my core. That's who I build around. And so I think if like, like if I were a GM of a major league team, the way I would think about this is like, I've got a bunch of guys who are ARB eligible, maybe pre-ARB. And like, that's my core. And free agency is where I build around that. And that's sort of how I think about this too. And so I, I'm actually much more likely to trade away that star player unless I think they're underpriced pretty significantly. No, that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. His third question, how do you value proximity versus perceived skill level of prospects in auto new against other dynasty or keeper style formats? Is there a dollar value you apply based on minor league level or a way you quantify proximity? I'll answer this one first, which is for me, like, I don't look at prospects in A ball. I just don't. Like, I'm just like, if you're not in double A, then I'm not that interested because both because of the proximity issue, but also because just like, 
a ball is noisy. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. There's, there are so many guys who've been stars in a ball and then got to double a, and it was like, Oh, baseball's hard. So I, I just don't want to be in that business. So that's for me, like there's not a dollar value to it. It's not like, Oh, a guy who might be here tomorrow, I'm going to pay more for than a guy who might be here later in the season. Like I'm, I'm not, that's, I probably would, but that's not how I, I don't put it like a, that's worth an extra dollar per month or something like that. But if I don't think you're going to be up this year or early next year, I'm probably not interested. And if you're an A ball, I'm probably not interested. Yeah, it's just you also get the dollar put on top, right? Every offseason. It's just it you're right. I mean, the keyword there is noisy. It doesn't there are guys in A ball. Most of the guys in A ball will never see the major leagues. So you always have to consider the talent level, the age level, all that stuff. Um, and that includes players who maybe not necessarily at A ball, but guys who are like 24, 25 years old and and, and playing in double a and or, or triple even triple a like i'm only gonna put so much stock in their performance because they they should be there and they should be almost ready for the major leagues so uh, prospects are a tricky deal for me in in ought new and, and frankly that's why i haven't accepted that jackson chirio trade yet and he's a great yeah. prospect right and i will say he, he the question here was versus dynasty or other keeper style formats like dynasty yeah, in a dynasty league, I'll grab a guy who's an A ball. Like you have to. There's no other way to to build a farm system because the guys happen. who are right and the guys who are in double AA, A, triple A, like they've been rostered for a couple of years. So like you got to go find those guys. I, I get that. Most other keeper formats, like to me, most other keeper formats, the minor league is even shallower than it is in auto new. So like you have like true dynasty is the deepest minor leagues, and you've got auto new, and then now you have most of my other keeper leagues, and in those, like you better be up this year. Like yeah. you better be up soon or else I'm really not interested. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, and the final question we got on Twitter from Jeff at Jeff with like, I don't know. I don't know. If it's his phone number. I don't know what it is. It's a lot of numbers <laughs> after his name. Do not call Jeff. <laughs> but at Jeff, something uh, wants to know $2 Josiah Gray for $7 Josh Naylor. Is cutting both an option? No, I'm only kidding. Um, I, I still like have. I actually like both of these guys. Gray has a lot of prospect pedigree, a decent amount, right? And he, he's shown strides this year. I, I'm pretty sure I have to look it up, and I'll, I'll look it up while you're while you're talking. But I, I'm pretty sure the long ball is still an issue for him. There's still inconsistent performances, and frankly, I don't trust the Nationals to develop players anymore. Um, they've been pretty much a disaster with all the prospects they've gotten out to be fair. Many of them are still very young. Like I, I, I heard some people on a pod being kind of hard on CJ Abrams. CJ Abrams can barely buy a beer, man. Like I get, he's been disappointing, but he's still pacing for like 1530 or something awesome like that. So not to turn this into a question about CJ Abrams, I'm less enthused with Naylor. I just, I, I think like what is best case scenario for Josh Naylor? I don't think it's, it's that terrific. So great. I guess I like the gray side, but I'm I'm not super interested in either player. I'm interested in both. Uh, <laughs> so gray, gray has solved the home run problems, by the way, for now. I mean, solved right now. They're not a problem. We'll we'll say we'll we'll leave aside solved. They but look good so far. Gray last year, thirty nine point two percent four seamers. 29.5 percent sliders, twenty four point eight percent curves. This year, he is throwing the slider more than any other pitch, 32.9%. The four-seamer is down to 30.1%. The curve is also down a bit to 20.1%. And his cutter, which he threw once last year, according to Baseball Savant, he is throwing 15.8% of the time. So he has shifted from being 
sort of four-seamer and breakers to bouncing between a four-seamer and a cutter, using his breaker, his slider in particular, more often. Um, he's completely ditched his sinker, which he used sparingly last year to horrific results. So he's made some changes in his pitch mix and in his approach that are, to me, meaningful, right? It's it's There's some evidence here of a change in approach, a change in strategy, a change in, in his thinking as a pitcher that is bearing results for him. And I mean, so, it's kind of simple, right? He's throwing the fastball 10% less, and so he's giving up less home runs. Like, I mean, that's a right. good change, assuming the other pitcher's st- pitches stay good. Yeah. Now, the concern I will ha- I, I will note is the strikeouts are still not great. The walks are still not great. And so, like, he's got that shiny 3.03 ERA, but it's a 4.45 FIP, 4.50 Sierra. Like it's not all, it's not all pretty. However, his XERA is 3.50 because he actually is inducing much softer contact than he did last year. That is something that could theoretically anyways stick. So that, that's why I like him Uh, for Naylor. I think the big thing is like, he could be a big power source for you and he could hit for a high average. He showed up, uh, Eno Saris, who we cited him last week on the show. We'll do it again this week. He had an article that came out on Friday about the best sort of buy low bats. And Naylor showed up in there as one of the guys that he would be buying low on. Um, you know, Just a quick read one paragraph. He says, Naylor is barreling the ball more than he ever has, chasing about as much as ever and swinging and missing just a tad bit more than usual. He looks like he's pulling fly balls at a good rate too. So, and you know, he's saying like 20 home runs, 270 average, like that's pretty useful. And and that's the kind of thing that, that I think you can get from Naylor. So I like both of these guys. I think if I had to choose between them, I think I would choose gray because I think the upside is higher. But I also think he's riskier. Like Naylor is more likely to just produce for you. Whether or not he produces at a elite level, I don't know. Gray is more likely to be a cut in a month, but he's also the one who could like he could become an ace. There is that that potential in there still. So, and he's cheaper, which I, and he's cheaper. I'll, I'll take those dollars and the higher upside any day. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's about it. You should go enjoy the the sunshine you finally got. And uh, with that, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you next week.